0: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores
1: graphic and disturbing stories... And include some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases this week. A husband is accused of murdering his wife because she refused to appear on a house flipping reality TV show. According to prosecutors, the man pretended to be a millionaire when the couple met and bought this really expensive home in a ritzy area of Orlando, which he could not afford. Now, when he told police that his wife had slipped getting into the tub and then died, a no nonsense female investigator called BS. Just listen to her. In the interrogation room here's a clip
2: the evidence and her body speak for itself and your story is bs
1: gotta love her style now juxtapose that incredible detective with a female judge in oklahoma who is accused of texting and scrolling through social media during a murder Trial. She was caught on camera doing it. The judge allegedly sent more than 500 text messages during a murder trial, making sexual comments about the prosecutor and a police officer that she found attractive. As inappropriate and unprofessional as that is, keep in mind that she's accused of doing this during a horrific case of a man accused of beating to death a two year old boy. That little boy, the victim, deserved the judge to care about justice for him. We are recording this on Tuesday, October 17th of 2023. Our guest today is Dr. Tracy Tambora, a criminal justice professor at the University of New Haven. Tracy is a nationally recognized expert on domestic violence, sexual assault, and the effects of the criminal justice system on women and marginalized
2: people. Tracy, welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, Anna. Thank you for having me. And thank you for these two shows. And I really like how you started it with the juxtapositioning of a really high quality employee in the criminal justice system with someone who appears to have been derelict of duty, showing the full range of, you you know, the potential competencies of individuals who work in the system. So I appreciate that.
1: Oh, thank you. You know, we were talking before we started recording, and I I know you have a lot of opinions, particularly about our first case, which is about this judge in Oklahoma who, you know, caught on security video in the courtroom. You could see her holding her phone underneath the desk, that big imposing desk that the judge sits at, and you can see her texting. You can see her scrolling through Facebook. This is during a murder trial. She makes fun of the jurors. She says, oh, is that a wig that juror is wearing? Are you
2: kidding me? Yeah, I mean, two things jump out to me right away. One about her as an individual in this kind of modern digital era, and something that I'm worried about as a professor in classes with students is their ability to pay attention. But the second issue is something that is even more concerning for me is that, you know, as a professor of criminal justice and a former employee that worked directly in the system with victims, the criminal justice system is battling with, you know, a reputation or a marketing or a branding, I don't know what's the best word to use, um, dilemma. In that it, you know, uh, there, there's been a lot of criminal justice system employee failures. Whether that has been police overuse of force, whether that has been prosecutorial discretion, like in the Bill Cosby case, um, there, these are cases in which the average person starts to lose faith in the criminal justice system. And when the out and, and the criminal justice system is and, and usually it's police officers because they're the first, they're the face of the system, the average person sees them more. But now that we're recording court cases, we're going to also see prosecutors and judges. And if they are also uh, if there is also a certain percentage of them core incompetent, and that starts to filter into the you know American public's uh, realization. Again, I think she's probably represents, you know, 10 percent of all prosecutors or judges, courtroom personnel and the level of incompetence she's displayed. But it leaves such a bad taste in our mouth. And as Will said prior, you know, this week has not been a week full of stories about great judges making complex decisions and prioritizing victims this week this woman captured the headlines because of just really egregious and quite frankly anna really immature behavior oh absolutely
1: and you know she makes my stomach turn because we talk about justice all the time on this program we talk about what would justice look like and we are lost in a discussion about the conduct of this judge who's under in judicial investigation But what happened was she did this during the trial of a two year old, a little boy who was killed Mm -hmm. and her decisions and her alleged biases here impacted so much of this trial. And the person who stood accused ends up getting convicted of a lesser charge because she insisted that a lesser charge Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. be instructed to the jury instead of what the prosecutors were going for, the prosecutor she was making fun of. And then as a result of that, even though the jury comes back with a conviction, she gets to do the sentencing. So what does she do? She sentences this man to time served, meaning he's been sitting in jail waiting for this. So he He's done. Four years that he's been sitting there waiting for this trial, he's done. Where's the justice for that baby boy? Where's the justice
2: for his family? Where? Tell me where it is. No, and you have two issues right here on the table. The first issue is impartiality, right? So she has not just discredited this court case, but she has discredited the legal profession of being a judge. She the The entire position hinges on the ability to be objective and impartial. That goes out the window. You know, the other thing is unlike in a trial, uh, so there the defense has a right to an appeal. I doubt they will appeal because they've got off pretty much with a with a very reduced sentence. But we don't have any legal response if the prosecutor wants to bring the case forward because we know that the judge's behavior was so egregious, you can't do that because of double jeopardy. So we can't bring forth this case again to try to get a more appropriate sentence for this defendant. So yeah, we have two major issues. One in this case specifically, there was a lack of justice done for the child, the victim in this case, and two for the entire system. This judge has really just sidestepped and disregarded the major judicial principle of impartiality which then affects all of us as citizens under the constitution it, it it degrades the entire process
1: it really does it does and it's interesting that you know she will be held to a different standard the investigation will be different it, you know it is the chief justice of the supreme court of oklahoma that has brought these charges and this investigation so they will ultimately you know the judicial system of Oklahoma will ultimately deal with this. Now, she was elected uh, and recently elected. So she's a brand new judge to the system. But you know what? You you don't <laughs> really need to have that much experience in a courtroom to know you can't be on your cell phone and you can't be on Facebook. And then you can't be texting the bailiff 500 freaking times sure. about how you think the cop is so good looking that you could stare at him all day. Right. Sure. If a male judge texted sure. that about a female police officer, that judge would be done and out the door. Sure. No discussion.
2: And There's let's a double hope- standard
1: here. Why does really? she get to get away with that?
2: Sure. And let's hope that she is done and out the door. And let's and, and also let's hope that not only is it be, not be it, that this case also highlights this, the the sexually degrading text messages that she was sending, not just the fact that she wasn't present and impartial. Um,
1: We're talking here about Judge Tracy Soderstrom, who's 50, old enough to know better. Absolutely, put your freaking phone down. And she was recently elected and sworn in as a Lincoln County District Judge. She was sworn in on January 9th of this year. And already she's facing potential removal. She was working out of Chandler, Oklahoma, now 500 text messages this is like a child a teenager yes. and she's sending them to the bailiff yes in the same court who's just a few feet away and everything that they're texting each other is ridiculous mm-hmm. it is it is most of it's offensive but a lot of it is ridiculous unnecessary sure. this is the kind of stuff I mean look had she done this in chambers had she done it somewhere privately it would have again equally as offensive but to be doing it during jury selection during yes. you know the interrogation of witnesses i i i'm i'm stunned
2: cell phone technology right is ubiquitous and we are all either telling our children we are telling our partners we are telling our coworkers you know Um, Can you put that away so we can focus and concentrate? I think what makes this story particularly outrageous is not the fact that she's texting 500 times because this has become part of our, our, our socialization mechanism, but the fact that the courtroom is like an operating room. It's supposed to be a sacred place we accept we expect that doctors judges these individuals who are held in high regard in our social settings that they have a level of decorum and maturity and competence to remove all of this low hanging fruit stuff sure how many times have you gone to a restaurant and is your your waiter or waitress is not available but you see them you know texting in the corner it's frustrating or if you're in a store right but we just don't expect professionals to be engaging in this kind of um, behavior. But Anna, as somebody who studies bad human behavior for a living, I think we're gonna see more of this, not less of this. I really do think from what I'm seeing in the last 10 years in the classroom, my students are by and large appear to be addicted. I have a no technology policy in the classroom because, and you know, it's the funny thing, now I'm gonna have to rethink what I say. I say, listen, when you get into the system, you can't bring your phones in the courts. You can't bring your phones into an interview with a child uh with a victim of child abuse you have to be very present well now thanks a lot to this judge that not only has she negated a very sacred aspect of being a judge impartiality not only has she created a farce of the of you know the sanctity of the courtroom but she's also thanks a lot sending messages to future criminal justice professionals that under certain circumstances, you don't really have to be present. You don't really have to be mindful. You don't really have to be engaged. And so I think this has a ripple effect um, that I I, I hope that this this particular case is followed through in the media. And we see that she does receive a punishment um, that suits her, uh, the crime, which in this case is on the micro level. She didn't give the 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 young the the baby the 2-year-old boy doesn't get his day in court even posthumously and at the macro level at the societal level this sends a terrible message about the how justice is administered
1: it is so disappointing it is so disappointing and and thank goodness that the, it was a security camera that caught this and then it was um The Oklahoman, uh, a news organization that managed to get the video and published the video and literally forced this situation out into the open. And so, y'all can see the video. You can watch her for yourself. It's not like one time she pulls the phone out and has to deal with something, which could be anything. It could be another judge saying, it could be anything. But that's not the case here. Constantly, constantly on her lap. And again, the fact that you can see that she's scrolling on Facebook, this is what is, I'm sorry, is now Facebook, (laughs) you know, providing uh, legal opinions for judges? I think not. I think not. So this behavior was made public in July. And according to the documents that have been released here through the court system itself, She exchanged the 500 messages with the bailiff, Angela Miller, who I said was literally a few feet away. And it all started during a trial. Uh, I mean, this could have started way before this, but the actual documentation of this behavior began June 7th. And that's when a murder trial began, the murder trial of Kristen Martzel. Okay, mm-hmm. now he's the boyfriend of the little boy's mother. Mm-hmm. And so it was his turn to be judged in a courtroom. The victim here is two-year-old Braxton Danker. Now Braxton died on Mother's Day of 2018, and his mother Judith Danker and her boyfriend. This this was his trial. They were both charged with the boy's death. In 2019, I want to talk a little bit about this case so you can understand why it's important that the judge should have been paying attention. And again, it goes back to justice. In 2019, the mother, Judith, enters a plea for an amended charge of enabling child abuse. She was sentenced, listen to this, she was sentenced to 25 years in prison, and she also agreed to testify against the boyfriend. The charge here is enabling child abuse. Yes. Okay. So let's think about what is fair here? So the judge decides that it's all the mother's fault because that's what's written in the text messages. The mother decides that the mother is to blame and this Christian, the boyfriend, it's really, you know, it's not as much his fault is what the judge decides here. And he's being held without bail since the time he was arrested, which explains the four years that he's been waiting in custody. So um, she cited with the defendant and there is proof of this based on what the judge uh of the judicial system the supreme court has released publicly when a cop testified in this case we're talking about the death of a boy she texts the bailiff i could look at him all day are you kidding me are you kidding
2: me yeah How i mean- inappropriate. It's inappropriate, and also the kind of your 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 sentence, two or three sentences back, she sided with the defendant. It's just preposterous to me that we're even using this language because we're talking about a judge. You're not siding with anyone, but she did, and so the idea that she is making it clear where she stands. And I think your point is well taken, right? The mother who appears to have enabled the act is receiving my gosh, four or five times the sentence of the individual who actually engaged in the act. And any normal person would be thinking, is this justice? um, And and is this a direct result of the judge's ineptitude, uh, uh, callousness, disregard for the case at hand?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think without question the judge's actions and rulings absolutely set up this perfect storm for him to receive a lesser sentence than the mother. Look, I don't know all of the details sure. because and I can't judge who did what versus but you can't tell me with the death of a baby, you have 25 years here, you have 4 here. That does not seem fair if they were if they were allegedly both there and involved in this act. I got a problem here. That is not not fair at all. So the judge clearly liked the defense better than she liked the prosecutor. For example, she liked the defense attorney so much that she texted her friend, the bailiff, awesome. Can I clap for her? Are you kidding me? It is like, it is, it is sideline commentary in a courtroom. It is the thought bubbles in text message. Yeah. To your buddy, the bailiff, your girlfriend.
2: This is absurd. So I'm kind of interested. Yeah. I want to talk to one of my colleagues who studies courtroom psychology to say, do you think judges are actually thinking these kind of mundane, silly, um, you know, thoughts throughout their trials? Well, they're or they're human, this- Tracy. So, I mean, part of
1: me is going to say, look, we're all human beings. Everyone sure. in the system is. And so... You know, you may be thinking these things like she this this judge made a comment about the prosecutor. She didn't like him. Why does he have baby hands is one of the things that she texted. So it's like the thing that comes into your head, you know, where you say to someone such a thing because for whatever reason it clicked and it bugged you. That's You You can think these things. The problem here is that she texted them in real time during a trial that needed her attention. I, have a, I think, you know, judges are like everybody else. They they think, you know, they think this prosecutor is that, this defense attorney sure. is this, you know, this juror is that. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in courtrooms. And I will tell you, you know, the, the two people you fear the most in a courtroom situation when you walk in, so is the judge and the bailiff, always, without question. Because the bailiff controls your access to the judge. The judge sure. controls what everyone does. And when you're working in a courtroom and you're covering a case, let's say, and there are electronics involved, for example, if we're audio, video recording, depending on the setup, um, press photographers, we we are constantly being instructed, corralled. Um, generally, the bailiff and the judge sets the rules and the tones. I've had some judges call me back into chambers with the whole, you know, with all the reporters for a variety of things sometimes it's to set the rules to tell you this is how it's gonna be this is how you're going to act this Mm -hmm. is my expectation and then you know that's part of it you know you're sitting there and they're like really scary people and then you have other judges i mean i had one judge uh we ended up becoming friends for a very long time literally would talk to me about fishing tournaments (laughs) i don't fish So what I'm trying to say is, Tracy, I do believe everyone in the system is a human being. But the question is, you know when you can act, when you're supposed to act professionally, and then when you keep your things to yourself and maybe share your weird thoughts with maybe a real friend or off hours.
2: Yeah. And, and I've also been in courts and sure, there are things that come to my mind when I'm, when I used to accompany a victim and you're, and you, you're thinking things like, oh my gosh, this is frustrating. Or, oh, I wish this person, I wish the prosecutor would shut up, or I wish this person would say more, but you you have to keep, you have to pay attention when you are a significant player in the court process. You have to take notes because there may be a moment in which you're asked, for instance, a judge, if the defense attorney or the prosecutor you know wants to recall an issue or wants to object to a position to a position that's put forward you have to be present to make sure you can discern whether that objection or that the recalling of that information makes sense and, and you need your own court, your notes. There is a stenographer, but most judges that I've ever interacted with are taking notes on the proceedings while they are listening to the proceedings in case something comes into question and the judge serves as the referee for the legal boundaries or parameters.
1: So, well, if you scroll through the video, you will see Judge Tracy with the phone in her lap, and then she's multitasking. Then you see her hand reach up to the desk, and then she's taking a note, and then back to her texting. Yeah. Need I say anything more about this woman? But we have so much more to tell you because the details of the things she said, you know, again, just so infuriate me. So. Again, we talked about how the judge felt about the mother in this case. The mother is not on trial. The mother is a witness in this case. She's not on trial. So the judge wrote, this is about the mother, that the state just couldn't accept that a mom could kill their kids, so they went after the next person available. That's how she felt about the boyfriend. The next person available? Excuse me? Mm -hmm. We're talking about the death of a baby, the murder of a baby, and then- um, she supposedly the judge supposedly reiterated these opinions she had in the hallways during breaks in the trial telling other authorities that she didn't believe the mother's testimony okay so um she and then she i mean to me one of the most egregious things she did was where the prosecution is asking for second degree murder and the judge drops it and says to the jury, "No, you can only consider second-degree manslaughter." She instructs the jury on what they can and can't consider. Therefore, making a determination as the judge in this case as to what the possible punishment could be—it's—it's uh, it's extraordinary. In fact, in fact, she sent a text message to the bailiff regarding these jury instructions and she wrote to the bailiff quote we are giving an alternate instruction of second degree manslaughter so now the bailiff this is what the bailiff writes quote he didn't kill that kid really
2: you know that you know what's complicated about this? I've seen cases in which judges downgrade charges. So they take they do instruct the jury. We're, we're you know, we're taking murder two off the table and we're putting manslaughter one on the table. This is how you should proceed. And it's been completely appropriate. So it, like you said, I don't know in this particular case if. The instruction was appropriate, but everything about her demeanor, everything about her engagement, both in the court, on the text messages and in the hallway, point to the fact that we really can't trust her judicial decision making. So the downgraded charges automatically appear strange or odd or preferential. They may have been completely appropriate, but I don't feel as though we she's she doesn't appear as credible at this point to know that her determination is therefore credible.
1: I agree with you. The jury found Christian Marzel guilty of manslaughter in the second degree, and that carries a sentence of two to four years. Sure. Well, the judge says, well, then you're sentenced to time served, so you're done here. You're done here, sir this is justice, not in the opinion of the family, not at all. So the family of that little boy was so upset. You have to understand as they're going through the trial, their focus is on getting justice, the evidence and what's going on. They are not focused on the shenanigans of Judge Tracy over here. Mm -hmm. And then when this is released, then it no doubt made sense to the family. It's like, This explains everything. She was never paying attention in the first place. So Braxton's grandfather, David Nelson, spoke Mm -hmm. with News on Six Live. And here's a, a, a clip of that.
0: I just
2: broke down. I mean, me and my wife both did. It's just another
1: thing, another insult on top of injury. Yes, he's right. It is insult on top of injury. So disrespectful to this family and to that child.
2: And again, most Americans, we don't understand the criminal justice trial system. First of all, less than 5% of cases go before a trial. So it's usually a murder or something significant. So most of us have very little exposure to what goes on in a trial. Now you're adding the other element that you have a baby who was murdered. And then and the and we also have a third element, uh, the mother was involved in some way. And so I think this is a case that sets up this perfect storm for us as a general public expecting justice. And and justice, of course, as you and I've talked about many times, Anna, is a lofty normative goal. We'll probably never reach it, but we strive for it. But this, so it's all of these emotional complications here are further exacerbated by the bad behavior of the judge. It doesn't appear justice is done. Again, though, I have no way as a criminologist to evaluate that because she has put, maybe it was right. Maybe he should have had manslaughter in the second degree in four years is appropriate. But there's no way to evaluate that now because it appears she prejudiced the process. The
1: family of the little boy, Braxton, they are filing their own complaint against the judge I don't know if she can be
2: sued civilly here. Yeah. So I don't know. I, there have been many cases with the prosecutor, and prosecutors have been found to, you know, pursue charges against knowingly innocent people. There's even a very famous case of a prosecutor who knew, who went after the death penalty against an individual that the prosecutor knew to be innocent. And most of what the court rulings come back on is this notion of discretion. We don't have those same parameters with judges, and so I think this is going to be interesting to follow to see how the court ultimately decides. Also, we know police departments can be sued for problematic behavior. Prosecutors cannot be sued. So I'm not sure where where judges lie in this. We know police departments and individual officers can be sued. Prosecutors can't, but I... I don't know. I, I I was looking, trying to look this up yesterday to see if a judge can be sued. Um, I'm I, not sure if they're protected. I
1: hope that there is a brilliant legal mind somewhere in the state of Oklahoma <laughs> who is thinking about this and how to get justice and make sure that you send a very clear message that this behavior is completely inappropriate and she
2: should be terminated and she should be disbarred. These are what we know, I know, to be uh, potential penalties for her behavior. Anything further than that, I'm not aware.
1: Well, let's let's let someone who doesn't spend nearly as much time uh, text messaging and scrolling through social media focus and figure out the solution here and outsmart this woman who lives in a little box, right? In a little box.
2: Can I just raise two? two real yeah. points? yeah, yeah. So I think there's also um, the the United States use of judges is kind of particular in in all of the world that is democratic. So number one, we have elected or appointed officials. Many other democratic societies, a judge position is based on merit. So you're taking tests and you're going through a a rigorous evaluation process. So it's it's depoliticized, no election, no appointment by the governor, for instance. So that might be one thing also that this case maybe brings to forefront and and opens up for discussion, how are we selecting judges in the first place? The second thing, many other democratic societies require a judge to write up a legal finding, a holding on the case. We do this for the Supreme Court, but lower court judges don't necessarily have, they don't do this where they have to put their legal reasoning. Um, The stenographer keeps court record and that's enough. And so this also might call into question that judges need to be accountable for their legal decisions and they need to defend them in some sort of record that goes in, that becomes permanent record, which we don't quite have a system for that now.
1: The prosecutor, the one who she said had baby hands, um, gave a brief statement saying that it is both shocking and disappointing, especially since jurors are banned from using their cell phones in the courtroom.
2: That's right. That's right. And you can be held in contempt of court if you you take out your cell phone. So that's also a hypocrisy here, right? Oh,
1: completely, completely. Now, following all this publicity, it took until October 10th for the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Oklahoma, John Kane, to finally recommend the removal of Tracy Soderstrom from her position. She has being accused of gross negligent, of gross negligent of duty, gross partiality in office, oppression in office, and additional grounds are all specified. This is all for her removal. She has been suspended with pay while the court on the judiciary conduct is figuring out what to do with her. Tracy's own attorney for her current legal situation responded that she's taking the allegations seriously wow good morning tracy good morning to you welcome to the world you know her her term is not scheduled to expire for four years until 2027. my wish for her is for her to be judged the way she judges i hope that if there's a panel that has to sit there, right? And decide her fate. I hope they have headphones on and giant iPads and that they're watching movies. And I hope that they completely disrespect this woman and not listen to a word she has to say because she doesn't deserve to be heard. I'm sorry, I don't care. Tell me how you really
2: feel, Anna. Karma, right? Karma. Karma.
1: (laughs) Karma, karma. Yeah, absolutely. But no, you know what's going to happen? Miss Bad Behavior over here is going to get all the benefits of the best judicial system we have available fairness, impartiality. That's what she's going to get. She didn't give that to, to who knows how many other people, yeah. but she's going to get it. Oh, it's so unfair
2: right yeah. and and of course we we also talk about this often like the human in us wants to see her pay right but the the part of us that seeks justice that you as the justice oriented journalist and myself as a criminologist i do hope she gets due process and a fair trial i don't you know i don't want to see her rights trampled the human in me mm. yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with it, but I I don't want to see a miscarriage of justice followed up by another miscarriage of justice. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, ho- hopefully there is there, not hopefully, I'm confident that this will be taken seriously because this has received so much media attention. It's kind of, um, in, in criminology, we talk about deterrence and you really do need to punish certain people very harshly to send a strong um, social message we call that general deterrence, this needs a strong social message, one, so that other judges don't engage in this type of behavior, but two, to reinstill some sort of confidence in the general public. This is not okay. This is not tolerable. This is not how you will be treated if you need court services as either the victim or the offender. Like you know. So hopefully this gives an opportunity to send a message that the criminal legal system takes justice seriously and that we're, quite frankly, disgusted by that behavior.
1: Hi, this is Amy Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper
2: Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about
1: women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host.
2: Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Our next case is out of Orlando, Florida, where a man is accused of murdering his wife after she discovered that he lied about being rich and apparently a bunch of other things. The accused here is 55-year-old David Tronis, who is currently on trial for allegedly murdering his wife, Shanti Cooper Tronis, who was 39 years old now prosecutors say that the motive here so it's an odd motive we haven't usually heard this one um is that they say he got so mad when she refused to appear on a house flipping reality tv show apparently the husband was out of money their house was a money pit she Mm -hmm. refused to pay any more and so his last go-to move was like oh if i can get this house featured on a flipping renovation TV show. They'll pay for it. I'll get it done. It'll be fantastic. And so apparently he had even convinced a producer to come over and look at the house. But, you know, Shanti didn't, want to be part of this tv show uh she refused to be on the tv show and when you're a producer of one of these things the production company generally requires at least the main couple or the family right. to be on the show because the show is about the house and the people so she was just like i don't want no part of this which meant that's it He didn't have another move left. Obviously, I think he had plenty of moves, like you could try and sell the house. There are many things you can do other than killing your wife as he is accused. So strange. You know, I always say this. I I repeat it practically every week. Murder is not a problem-solving solution. It is not your go-to. So I guess in this case, we have... First, you go to a reality show. And if that doesn't work, then maybe murder.
2: Murder. Sure. Yeah. And also there's there's a few red flags in this case. Um, You know, the fact that there were some uh, lying and, and distortions regarding the financial situation, Um, the fact that there seemed to be some disagreement in the first place about involving this, um, reality television show, this is not things that you would think in an adjusted healthy marriage, you know, you, both parties would have been on board from the get-go. Um, so there's probably something going on in this marriage, uh, some sort of tension, dysfunction. I can't say domestic violence because I don't have enough information, but there's some sort of dysfunction happening. And then we all, those of us who've ever done home renovation, I mean, it's not a fun thing. It is very, um, it's it's draining. It does- Stressful. Stressful. It, It, you know, husbands and wives, partners, there's tension. And then of course, if you're also, the renovation is creating some sort of financial burden, so the, you can see that this tension and stress is building in this couple that does seem to have some sort of dysfunction or problems already. Um, of course, yes, Anna, your point that murder is not a solution, it is not a coping mechanism, um, is, is well taken. So, yeah.
1: And yet this is, you know, people make these decisions, sadly every day to deal with their problems. Mm-hmm. So the couple had purchased this home, a $600,000 home, and they were in over their heads at this point. Uh, the wife was completely over it, you know, because she had been paying for all these renovations. And and so she felt like this house was a money pit. There's uh, been a suggestion that she was so done that she was ready to leave him. Uh, prosecutors say that, In this house, they had an interesting living arrangement where there was apparently an apartment which doubled as her office, but she lived there. So kind of like almost separate lives, if you will. So definitely a lot going on, Tracy, you know, much more than just like, will you be on the show with me or not? It it was much deeper than that. So David and Shanti met on Match.com sometime in 2013. A few months later, David moved to Florida to be with her. And at the time, Shanti had an eight-year-old son, uh, Jackson, uh, who was living with her. And according to reports, David misrepresented his financial status when Mm -hmm. the two began dating. And according to authorities, he told his soon to be wife that he had inherited between four and $6 million following the passing of his father, which apparently was not true that he was not worth that. So they married in 2017, the couple purchased the home for $600,000 and David had his name on the title indeed but not Chanti's.
2: Yeah, that for me was one of those red flags because the uh, the news report that I saw was that the her name was not on the deed, yet she was making the majority of the financial contributions to the overall renovation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know many spouses. Uh, again, I, I can't speculate, but to not be on the deed but yet be responsible for the renovation, seems like you're being set up for some sort of uh, unfortunate financial situation.
1: It seems that he wanted this house, he wanted her to pay for fixing it, and then he would get the proceeds when he flipped it. This is what it appears like. But we don't know they're far more serious things that he's accused of than sure. that. now we want to be clear here that david says he is not guilty he mm-hmm. says that this is an accident his wife hurt herself in the tub and that is how she died so he's denying at all any of this according to a report from wftv the finances may have been just one of the problems that the couple was dealing with here they claim that records obtained by investigators allegedly indicated that David visited a gay men's gym and spa named Club Orlando Athletic Ventures more than 70 times leading up to and through his marriage. Mm -hmm. A worker at the spa says, this is their reporting, that David had been seen having sex with other men. It is unclear whether his wife had any idea that he was cheating on her. We do not know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And that could also have been an issue here. That's their private business. But again, if he was cheating on her and she had just found out and then they're having the financial problems and she's thinking of leaving, it could all be crumbling for the husband here. So the actual argument apparently was about the renovation. At least that's what prosecutors are saying. And. As the renovation costs were piling up. So the the name of the show is, forgive me, I haven't seen it. It's called Zombie House Flipping. I don't know. Occasionally I see international house Hunters. What can I say? I'm pretty limited in this area. Um, So the hope was that Zombie House Flipping would pay for the renovations, put them on TV, be done with it. David would be a star. He'd have a new house. Everything would be perfect. Well, of course, it doesn't work out that way at all so uh now so that disastrous meeting where like shanti wouldn't deal with the um producer of the show and all that 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 was a week before her death now let's get to the day she's found dead april 24th 2018 david calls 911 tells dispatchers that his wife had fallen in the bathtub of their home and was unresponsive david said that she felt into the bathtub she fell as she was trying to get into the bathtub he said this is actually very important here yes he said that the bathtub was half full with water when he found her body however investigators who arrived on the scene said both the bathtub and Shanti's body were dry
2: yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of evidence here, right, about the level of injury to the body that also brings into question the his statements. Right. Uh, it is. I read that he said she had not just uh, contusions to the head, but she also had uh, her windpipe was damaged. Her ear was nearly taken off and she had petechia up and down her body, indicating that there were other traumas. So between the fact that these things would not occur if you slipped in the tub. So you have some contradictory evidence going on here. Yeah.
1: So he was interrogated for hours here at the scene because even the responding paramedics were like, nothing made sense. The story Mm -hmm. that you're being told doesn't seem to fit the crime scene that you're looking at. So David claimed, then David says, Well, I moved her body in a panic to the bedroom before returning her to the tub. Who does that? That doesn't make any sense. That's not logical. No, no, no. So then police say, Well, they found so much blood in the bedroom that they theorized that she was murdered in the bedroom. And then the body was moved into the bathtub to make it look like a slip and fall.
2: Sure.
1: But the problem was, you got to put some water in the bathtub if you want people to believe the story.
2: Yeah, and I mean it's also the the you know the CSI effect. But you know, unfortunately, everybody wants to search for hear- serial killers, so that has a negative. But the CSI effect should tell you that there the for the, our ability to forensically identify injuries is pretty good, and so the idea that you're going to make up a story about something that we can the forensic scientists can actually measure um you know types of injuries They're, this is physics like the the amount of injury given the length of distance between the height of the individual and the fall so i don't know this guy's story again i don't have all the court transcripts this has not gone through we don't have all of the information publicly available but the fact that his initial report to the detective is not adding up, the amount of injury to the body, the fact that that we have a significant amount of blood in another room. Again, I mean, I was halfway joking about the CSI effect, but this is this is no brainer stuff. You should be aware that this information can be um, supported by forensic evidence. So I, I don't know what he's doing. He's not helping himself with the story in any way.
1: No, and the trial is currently going on as we're recording. This it should be going on through the rest of the week. We have no idea if he's going to take the stand in his own defense. We're going to play some interrogation tapes for you. And when, when you view them and listen to them, you may think to yourself, perhaps he should not take the stand because he's certainly not helping help in his case. He Unless you can explain the stuff that doesn't make any sense in the interrogation room, then you should just be quiet and sure. and hope that some juror has compassion on you and you get a hung jury or something. So the medical examiner has ruled clearly that this was a homicide. Um even though, you know, there's been back and forth during the trial this week that I mean is it possible that she could have died just from the head injury and not also strangulation and you know one of the expert witnesses were like, well maybe it's possible. You know what I mean? There's always like like is it possible but for the most part I mean, clearly, we have a homicide here. Um, She died from blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation, according to the prosecution. The defense, again, is arguing that this was an accident. Okay. So the superstar, you know, if we had one really bad woman in Oklahoma, we have like one incredible woman here in Florida. The investigative superstar here is Detective Teresa Sprague. She is a no-nonsense woman, and she has zero patience for the husband, who is telling her a story that does not make sense to her. So here's a clip of her interrogating the husband. Now, for those of you listening, I want you to imagine when you listen to him, he's wrapped in a blanket, and he's kind of like leaning up against the wall, and his body language is very submissive and very like, I'm not having a good time here. Okay. Listen to this grilling.
2: This BS about three o'clock and tubs and. It's crap.
1: It's crap. You know it's crap. It's a crappy story.
2: Sorry, it's falling Um I appreciate the
1: things that you've said and the genuine um, consideration and uh, thoughtfulness. Um, when he tells the cop that he appreciates her, I think she just about, you know, was controlling her fury here with her like, please. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and here in as you aptly pointed out, in our first case, we have somebody who is not. Uh, living up to the, you know, rules and guidelines of their profession. And in the second case, you have a, a detective who is doing a phenomenal job maintaining her composure, asking questions. And um, you know uh, and, and you know, I saw that clip where he does look quite, uh, I don't know what's the right word. He looks a bit disheveled. he looks, as you said, submissive, he looks, Um, overwhelmed, um, but she maintains her calm and composure and continues to ask questions. I also think, you know, a detective in this case is very well aware that the forensic evidence is going to be the uh, the, the primary evidence. And the fact that you can't place anyone else in the home at the time that she dies and the medical examiner is saying conclusively a murder, you know, she all Of course, in in a perfect world, she'd get a confession right there, whatever. But all she needs to do is make sure he's afforded his rights, he's listened to, he's given a chance to put forth a statement. She's very well aware that this case is, I don't know if that it's a slam dunk, but because we can't produce anyone else in the house at the time the woman dies, and it seems conclusive that she was murdered, you know, she just needs to make sure that the, that the appropriate questions are asked, that he has a chance to respond. And in a best case scenario, maybe he would admit to the, the he would admit to the killing. But yeah, she, she does even, a very good job.
1: She even said to him, you've been fake crying for eight hours, yet not one tear has come out. She's
2: brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I know it. She she's like the uh, she she's like the best mother you could ever hope for, right? She's like holding you accountable. You are not getting out of this. This is you just fess up or at least be quiet. But your story is not you. This is I'm not being sold on this story. Yeah.
1: Here's another exchange from the interrogation.
2: The evidence
0: and her body
2: speak for itself, and your story is bs
1: she's she's spot on yes the evidence and her body speak for itself no matter what crazy story this man comes up with
2: right right so if she can get a confession great if she can't like i said this is a case that should be um fairly easy for the prosecutor to close given the a level of um, damage done to the body, the level of injury done to the body. And also, like you said, we have two pieces of testimony that don't make any sense. Where's the wet, where's the half water tub thing. And also why is there so much blood in the bedroom?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Very good points. So it was several months later before he was arrested. He was arrested on August 30th of 2018, charged with first degree murder. Now, You may be asking yourself, why, if this happened in 2018, are we only getting to trial in 2023? I have some answers for you. So David's case had multiple delays. And the very first one in 2021 was that David's attorney at the time said to the judge, he is not competent to stand trial. He says the man is a schizophrenic and therefore cannot stand trial. So... At that point, there apparently was enough medical evidence um, to show that he had some serious competency issues, and he was declared at that moment incompetent, and then he was sent to a state hospital. Two years after being in a psychiatric facility, he's finally deemed well enough to stand trial. Okay. Then, in January of 2023, when we now have a judge's ruling that david is competent to stand trial and they're scheduled to go well there's another delay Mm -hmm. david fires his attorney he claims that his attorney has a serious conflict of interest whatever that may be and so then finally david gets a public defender and then david pleads not guilty to one charge of first degree murder And so now the trial has begun. October 12th is when the trial began in earnest. Those have been the delays. I know that you're not an attorney, Tracy. However, the fact that lots of defendants will say that they are incompetent, can't stand trial, insanity defense, you know, everybody tries this one. Some people are truly ill. The fact that he has been determined to be mentally incompetent for two years of this process. Tracy, do you see this working its way into the defense? And that could be, if anything, if any juror does show any compassion toward, no? No. Tracy's not having it. No.
2: (laughs) So competency to stand trial is so misunderstood by the general public. First of all, it's nearly impossible. Like it's less than 1% of cases, there is a competency to stand trial, even deliberation. When it happens, most of the time, the judge doesn't accept it because the competency standard is pretty low. Like, you you know, you don't have to be functioning. You don't have to be literate. You don't have to be well adjusted. You just have to know that you are on the planet Earth on this day. Um, so the, the competency requirements are pretty low. You just you, you really need to just be aware. You can process information. So then there are cases like David's in which there is a competency issue and a judge can say, fine, I remand you to an institution because most competency cases, the individual can be brought to competency. Perhaps they're off their medication. Perhaps there was some sort of um, sporadic uh, event that occurred or some sort of acute reaction. So then people can be brought back to competency as he was. Once you're deemed competent to stand trial, it proceeds. Um, and the other thing people don't realize is you're better off not being incompetent. Okay. Because if you are deemed incompetent, you can be institutionalized for your entire life. Incompetency and remanded to an institution, you it, it's indefinite. And so, or there's another thing that could happen He could be found guilty, but by reason of insanity, again, you're remanded to an institution for an indefinite period of time. And and what we know from research is that most individuals who are either deemed incompetent, but it's a a murder charge, so there's some level of dangerousness, they are remanded to an institution for longer than they would have been incarcerated. So a lot of people think, oh, it's the easy way out. Well, you end up serving usually more time, but- the first and most important issue it's very nearly impossible to um, be deemed incompetent and uh, to stand trial so that you never stand trial for your behavior.
1: Well, the case is going on right now, and I have no idea when it's going to get to the jury. It's possible it could get to the jury by the end of the week. A lot depends on whether, um, what kind of a defense. David's team puts on, again, the defense is saying that the wife's death was an unfortunate accident. Prosecution disagrees. We will be following this case and we'll let you know what the verdict is. Well, it is time for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on social media. And our producer, Will Updike, is here. Now, you look like you're in a dungeon over there, Will, but you're honestly, you're at the at our offices <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, yep, at the offices. This is where they keep me. Uh, usually I, I don't do this segment from here. Um, you know, I, I get a little free time. But today, it is what it is. Uh, we still got a great case for you. This one is all about a McFlurry of poor decisions leading to a very unhappy meal. This case, you know, Tracy, you know what it is. My fa- I get my favorite criminologist on here. I get my favorite genre of crime on here. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's going to be a good time. This comes out of Waukesha, uh, Wisconsin, where... Where a woman was arrested. And it took a while. She was arrested a full month after she allegedly made threatening comments to McDonald's employees because some of her French fries were burned. Some is kind of a, a key aspect here. So suspect Bernita crispy. I mean, because you know, so I sometimes I like those really crispy little bits. Okay. I I well, allegedly these were beyond crispy. Okay. Beyond crispy. And usually McDonald's doesn't do them super crispy. No, but they don't. They don't. It's not really their thing.
1: Um, you know, you can ask at In-N-Out Burger. You can ask for extra crispy.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I, I usually I usually do. Okay. I'm sorry. McDonald's has way better fries, though, than In-N-Out. So.
1: No way.
0: Absolutely. Not like um, not even used close. used to
1: back in the day when I had my ninth birthday party at a McDonald's, but not anymore.
0: Go also, on. the like the pro move at McDonald's is you say you want fries, no salt, and they make a fresh, fresh batch. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know
1: that. <laughs> yeah.
0: But then and, they tasteless without any salt. Oh, I mean, you could still get the salt on the side. Okay. <laughs> just, you just say you got you. You're watching your sodium. I need the salt on the side.
1: We digress. You're trying to tell us a,
0: about a case. Anyways, story. back and to I'm back to our actual crime. Fries. Now that now that we've given you some tips on how to order fast food, if that's your preference, <laughs> uh, suspect here, Bernita Gottschalk, went into the fast food chain, purchased a meal, ate the meal there. When she finished, she allegedly approached the counter and started criticizing the fact that there was a burnt end on some of her leftover fries. So a couple of things on this to me. It's not every fry. You know, every fry wasn't burnt. Um, And you finished the meal. Um, I I think a complaint after you finished the meal to me is always a a bridge too far. A bridge too far. And it was kind of a bridge too far. Very harsh sometimes, you know. You finished (laughs) the meal. (laughs) <laughs> like how bad could it have been? Right. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Will. Um, mm. Yeah, but I think because of finishing the meal, employees, they're trying to deal uh, with this. I, I guess maybe they weren't willing to, you know, offer a new set of fries or something. But our suspect here uh, got struck. Attempted to make her way into the kitchen to make herself a new order, uh, according to court documents. And when an employee tried to stop her, obviously not supposed to be in there. um, This is when she kind of escalates things. She starts arguing with the employees and she claimed that this McDonald's worker was a drug dealer. And then she continued to try to make her way to the kitchen and said that all of the McDonald's employees were selling drugs and would get arrested. And then goes even further, of course, as they always do in this segment. Apparently, at this point, Gottschalk claimed that she had a weapon and was going to shoot up the restaurant. Now, uh, authorities are on their way. She was reportedly already leaving the McDonald's when the police officers arrived. She did not have any weapons on her, according to police. So this was just sort of an, an empty threat thankfully no no, no truth that threat of violence even going on there. Um, but they filed this criminal complaint, like I said, nearly a month after this happened. She's being charged with disorderly con- conduct, and her next court date is scheduled for October 19th. Also, just a side note for this story, if, if anybody remembers the old crime watch days where they would go knocking on people's doors, uh, a local news station, Fox 6, went to knock on Gottschalk's door uh, on October 11th. Reportedly nobody answered, um, but that's just a nice little side note if you've been with the crime family for a long time oh, Anna do you miss doors. knocking on
1: doors I do not miss knocking on doors I do not I do not and I had an incredible like my my statistics for like getting who I was looking for were like 99 percent. there's only one person that they sent me out to get the whole time of crime watch daily who I didn't get
0: no way
1: yes way yes way
2: who was it do you remember
1: Garcia shoots, she scores. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's um, incredible. It well, it's hard because the thing is, it's all about a stakeout. It's just like, you know, you know, you sit there, you're looking for patterns, you have to make sure you have the right person. You know, you follow the person, you have to be in a public area. You it also needs to be a very safe moment you know when you're approaching someone um you know um,
0: and you've got camera and sound tailing you too right
1: yeah but i you know there are other you know stories it's like wow i mean there's there was one that we always talk about where i knocked on a door and they were really mad and the lady came out with a with one of those like heavy frying pans like a skillet it's like oh okay I'm out of here. I'm out of here. You know, and then there was I wasn't working for crime watch at the time, but I was chasing someone it was a pretty serious case and knocking on the door. And I'm like, can you hear someone in there? Like, it sounded like there was someone in there, but I couldn't really hear that well. Um, and then as we leave the scene, the guy follows us into a parking lot and then he pummels my um, producer, who, by the way, producer's birthday is today. Happy birthday, Fred. Um, and literally while I'm on the phone trying to explain to management what is going on and why, you know, we've called 911, we're waiting for the authorities. I'm literally, I turn and the next, and I turn back to look at Fred and there's blood coming down his face. I'm like, what happened? I was, I literally turn away for a second to, to, to explain to management why I believe that, you know, we are in trouble. And, and finally, you know, everything gets settled and we're just like, we just want to get everyone out of here. And the, the LAPD pulls me aside, and he says to me, "The, the um, I'll never forget this conversation." He said to me, "You knock on someone's door. I, I mean, what what do you ever bother to think about that you could literally be walking into a drug deal or something else? What do you think is going to happen when you randomly knock on someone's door, especially if they are, you know, someone with a criminal history?" And I think about that all the time what exactly I'm terrified anytime
0: someone knocks on my door
1: like what exactly did I think was going to happen like how is this supposed to end well so yeah no I'm not 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 a big fan of the knock knocks
0: <laughs> uh I love this aside. Uh anyways, getting back to our suspect here uh with the empty threat of shooting up a McDonald's. People had a lot to say about this. Uh Kwan Y had an interesting one. They said they need to change the oil more so the fries can be crisp and fresh. I feel her pain. Um, listeners won't get to see this, but I'll I'll display the comment. This is an all-caps comment. They feel very strongly about the changing of the oil. Um, I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. I I'm I'm not I don't know that much about frying things, but it seems Hyper important. JDE said, I'm blaming McDonald's on this one. Fries burnt. Ice cream machine never works, which is, I I forget about that. I'm happy for this comment because anytime you go to a McDonald's and you're hoping for a little sweet treat, that thing is always broken.
1: Mine is not. I go to the one here in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, oh, there. wow. Well, there no see, there, there. there's the tip. If you're in the L.A. area, make a trip over to Hollywood. Great drive to through in
1: Hollywood. Very big, you know, nice, good turning area.
0: <laughs> Wendy's, they managed to keep their ice cream machine working all the time. Oh, I've honestly. never had Wendy's uh, ice
1: cream. But, you uh, know, they charge you for extra chocolate syrup. If you ask, like, you know,
0: now it's, it's like already can... chocolate ice cream.
1: Oh, no, no. I get vanilla with the chocolate oh, syrup. But, you know, gotcha. you have to ask for the extra no. and then they charge you. Right. Go go figure. Now that is the stuff that enrages me more than a little burnt french fry. Go on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um Kyle B had a self-deprecating comment. They said as a McDonald's worker, do it. I'm very tired. Just I I, I I'm just joking on this one. I hope all service workers are doing well. Be, be sure to be sure to tip your servers um and just be nice to everyone in customer service. Q-Bands said, "Well, I'm sure people have said worse at a McDonald's, which for me, this comment takes the cake. I, I, This probably wasn't even the worst thing the employees heard that week, though. Hopefully, the rest of them didn't involve any any sort of threats of personal violence. Um, but yeah, that that's going to do it for this week's comment section. Thank you so much to everyone who left those. You can do that over on our YouTube community page. And tease this out. We also have a special guest coming on a comment section here very soon. So stay tuned for that. I'm so excited. I can't um, believe this. <laughs> Until next time, uh, thank you you so much.
1: Bye, Will.
2: Bye, thank you.
1: Tracy, you are absolutely a fan
0: favorite here because
1: your perspective on the criminal justice system is different from so many of our guests who are former prosecutors or defense attorneys. You give us the explanation. You give us the context, big picture. And I think we always learn something because you're a professor. And so we learned something. So thank you for that.
2: You're so welcome. I try not to be too boring or pedantic, but I do want to provide some sort of balance. These, these stories are, you know, um, I, they, they, they're very eye-catching. They draw us to all these stories, crime stories. for at least 100 years, captured the the attention of the media and the general public. But also, there are mundane things that need to be explored, like the purpose of justice, or what does does this mean philosophically? What does this represent for the, the system? So I really appreciate you always giving me a space to not just talk about the case, but also what's happening in the system behind the case. I appreciate this platform.
1: Oh, you're just such a fan favorite. So Tracy, since last year on, you were on, you 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 went kicking and screaming into social media. So where can people find you?
2: Okay, so I am now at Tracy dot, is that how you say it? Tracy with a period Tambora. How do you say it? Tracy dot Tambora. Yes. Instagram. <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to get into the 21st century. You can also find me at the University of New Haven if you want to link to my um, academic work. So I appreciate you, Anna. You gave me the push to get this social media. I'm just not good at it. I'm trying. It's fine. It's fine. I follow you. It's you. <laughs> yes, you're one of four people. Thank you, Anna.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, you can find me at Anna G News <laughs> on all social media, even on TikTok. Occasionally, you put something on TikTok. So um, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us this week. You can find this episode and all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're very excited about that. We're going to have someone on, one of our subscribers. Hey! And then you can get our newsletter at TrueCrimeDaily.com. So until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime.